Hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King, and I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're so excited that you're here. And if you're in this room, man, we are so expectant for what God is going to do and what God has already done. I've just already been just so encouraged by being able to worship this morning. But let's get started. Why don't you say hi to your neighbor and tell them how many games you think the Seahawks are going to win this year with Geno Smith? I'll wait. Lord, help us. You know, I wonder if you've ever asked the question, what's the least that I can do and still get what I want? I didn't think that'd be funny. <laughs> what's the least I can do and still get what I want? I don't know about you, but for me, that was probably the central question that I asked when it came to choosing classes in college. They have this website, I don't know if you guys have heard of it, it's called Rate My Professor, where you could give feedback on your professors who taught the classes that you wanted to take, and the students would rate them, and uh, to my understanding, professors are not wild about this, but for students, it's, it's, it's great. Um, because you essentially get to see how each one of the professors is ranked when it comes to the clarity of their lectures, the engagement of their classroom, and most importantly, the difficulty of their grading. They even had a spot where the students could add a little hot tamale next to the teacher's name if they thought that they were good looking, which was less helpful but entertaining nonetheless. <laughs> but my point is this, before I even took the class, I could actually ask that question, what's the least that I can do and still get the grade that I want and pick a class that would help me get there? It was awesome. It was like Yelp for teachers. It was a game changer. And I don't actually want you to get the wrong idea about this because this is not just a question for lazy people like me. This is a question that all of us are asking all of the time in some way or another. I mean, if you are looking to buy a home, I hope you're at least asking some variation of that question. What's the best deal that I can get and still get the home that I want that's not being cheap, it's actually being wise? Or maybe it's asking the question, what's the route that I can take that I'll hit the least traffic and still get where I want to go? That's not being lazy, friends. That's called being smart. That's called being a good steward of not just your time, but your soul. Because if you're anything like me, traffic does not bring out the best in you and it makes you hate everything and everyone. But it's not a bad question. It's actually a great question. But here's the problem. Even though it's a great question, it's not a great question to ask when it comes to things of faith. Because if you're asking God, what's the least that I can do? If you're asking God, what's the least I can surrender? What's the least I can give and still get what I want? It all but guarantees that you are going to miss the heart of God. Because if you're asking, what's the least I can give to a God who's actually given everything for you? You see, you're asking a selfish question to a selfless God, and that never works. Friends, this chapter of Scripture and this series and this book is not about finding the path of least resistance to get where you want in your faith. It's actually asking a series of much more difficult questions. Because I know you want a faith that works, friends, but the question is this. Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to take the steps necessary to get you to where you want to go? And for today, are you willing to do what you say and say what you do? Friends, I know that you want to. The question is, will you? And before we get to the scriptures, I just want to pray for us. If you bow your head, Holy Spirit, God, we thank you that you are not the God of least resistance. God, you are a God that uses every opportunity God, to pursue us at every cost. 
God, would that actually dawn on our hearts again this morning? Would we be reminded, God, that you did not choose the easy route when it came to us? God, you did not play cheap with us. God, you gave everything so that we could actually have a way to relate to you, God, and a life that we get to live, God, in pursuit of you and your plan for our lives. And so, Jesus, we just come to you a thankful people, and we say, God, would it be so in our lives? God, would we not be a people who are so consumed in our faith with finding the easy way, but actually, God, looking towards the hard answers that we know are going to shape us into who you want us to be? God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So today we're going to be in James chapter 2, which is really a continuation of chapter 1. In chapter 1, James says that we're called to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And chapter 2 really serves to emphasize and explain the essence of what that actually looks like in our lives. And I didn't actually know this for the longest time, but this is actually a, a controversial chapter in the Bible because it creates a tension that's hard for us to live in. Because in Ephesians 2, Paul says that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a free gift from God, not by works so that none can boast. And all God's people said, amen. And you're like, yes, that's the best news ever. Paul is saying that we've been saved through faith in Christ. It's nothing more than that. This is what we're called to do. It's not what we do. But then we've got James who comes onto the scene and he actually says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith with no deeds, can such faith save them? Calling into question, what does it mean if we don't have deeds to back it up? He even goes as far as to say that faith without works is dead. And it creates a tension in each and every one of us. Because it's almost like James is calling into question the words of Paul because Paul is saying it's our faith, but James is adamant that there's actually work that we need to do or else our faith is, is dead. So right off the top, I actually want to speak to this tension and to do so, I want you to know I went all out. I brought in the big guns. I actually called my mom about this one because she said that she had something for me. And so she sent these words all the way from uh, Long Lake, Alaska, from her study Bible. Shout out to Mama Barron's watching up there with terrible reception. It says this. It says at the intro of James, it says, Many have claimed that James and the Apostle Paul differed on the question of faith versus works. But in reality, the spiritual fruit that James talks about simply demonstrates the true faith of which Paul wrote. Therefore, the writings are actually complementary rather than contradictory. So the writings are complementary, not contradictory. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, the study Bible. So right from the start, I actually want to speak to this and say that this is what we believe. We believe that these verses are complementary, not contradictory. James is not saying that works is the mean to be saved. What he is saying, though, is this. You are never going to find true faith without some visible outflow and expression of works. So so when James is saying that it's not your faith alone, what he's really saying is that true faith is never alone. It always has a partner. It always has an outflow. It always has a way of working itself out in your lives because, friends, true faith changes everything. Amen? And that's the foundation I want to speak from today. I want to start with this idea that true faith changes everything and then talk about three different ways that that actually plays itself out in our lives. So let's get to work. This first idea is simple. True faith changes what we see. In James 2, uh, verses 2 through 4, it says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. 
And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here and sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? And I love this story because it works on a couple different levels. It doesn't just speak to our tendency to judge people based on what they look like. It actually speaks to our tendency to treat people differently when they have something that we want. I wonder, have you ever noticed that people behave much different in interviews than they do in real life? <laughs> They've always got an answer to the question and they're, they're always polite. And James is saying, careful how you treat people because if your kindness has an agenda, it's not actually kindness. He's saying, if your love has an agenda, it's not love, it's just a strategy to get you what you want. James says, true faith doesn't play favorites. It treats everyone with the same kindness and grace and joy that you give to the people that you love and enjoy the most in your life. Here's a question, church. How do you treat the people in your life that have nothing to offer you? Because those are actually the relationships that show us the most about the true nature of our hearts. Those are the relationships that we can learn the most about what's overflowing out of our lives. So James says, don't play favorites. Then he follows it up and he says, be careful as well not to judge. He says, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says, this is, this is not good. And some of you are saying, but yeah, Brian, but I'm, I'm like really good at judging people though. <laughs> it's crazy, ask anyone, like this is my gift to the world. I'm telling you friends, this is not a gift to the world and it's not a gift to your soul. And what James is really pointing us towards isn't just the judging people's bad or wrong, he's actually pointing us to a deeper truth which is actually gonna be talked about in James chapter four so I won't give too much of it away. But what he's saying is there's actually one true judge who is good and holy and righteous and he's ruling and reigning and this might come as a surprise to you friends but it is not you. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's not you. Second idea is this, true faith changes what we do. I'm gonna read James 2, 14 through 17. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? thought about calling the message, what good is it? What, what good is your faith if it's not actually expressing itself in ways that make people's lives different? What, what good is it if your life isn't a reflection of the one who loves you? What good is it? Verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And this is really the heartbeat of James chapter two and, and really the book as the whole and the question of will you do what you say and say what you do? That's really the heartbeat of this. And James is like done talking about small talk, man. He is like sick of talking about the weather. He's like, let's talk about real life. Let's get into people's business because this is what matters about your life. And, and this week I was thinking about this. What if I got up here and just declared my love for my wife? 
Oh, what if I got up here and I just started like talking about the bride of my youth and started like reciting song of songs and like started reciting poetry all up in here and you guys were just like, wow, what a heart, what a heartbeat. He must really love his wife. But then what if you found out I didn't actually spend time with her and I wasn't faithful to her and I never talked to her and I didn't prioritize her and I had no interest in her and I never actually did anything different in my life because she existed. I wonder then if you would still believe me. You see, what James is saying is, what good is it if you claim that you're in love, but there's no love? What good is it if you claim you have faith, but that faith isn't expressed in your life? I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. This is, this is the best. He says, dear friends, do you think that you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you can come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I love that line. I, I heard it. He's like, isn't it obvious? I love that. That God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. I heard that and I was like, yes, Eugene, get it. Like, isn't it obvious that when we say one thing and do another, we're just going to end up lost? I was talking to Grant this week and he said, you know, I like thinking about it like a, like a rowboat and faith and, and works are like the two oars. And so if you forget one, it's inevitable that you're just going to end up going around in circles wondering why you're not getting anywhere. I was just like, yes, Grant, that is it. James isn't asking us to pick a side. He's saying, if you want your life to move in the direction of God, you need to pick up both paddles and start rowing. You need to integrate your life. You need to say what you do and do what you say. We've got to do what we say and say what we do if we want our lives to be a story about love. I've always been so confused why this is such a controversial topic. I mean, to me, it's just obvious. Like, don't we know this to be true, friends? Like, don't we know that what we do isn't random, it's actually a reflection of what we truly believe? I think of that quote that Grant says, I'm going to butcher it, but he says, show me your calendar and your wallet and I'll tell you what you worship. It's like, don't we know that actions speak louder than words? Like, this is so controversial, but I'm just like, man, don't we know this is true in our lives? Because I could get up here and tell you how much I love my wife and that's fine. But I can guarantee you right now that she would be much more moved if I surprised her by spending the afternoon deep cleaning our bathroom. <laughs> that was meant to be serious. <laughs> you know, like I could, I could tell her that I love her and I could tell her that she's beautiful and I could tell her how thankful I am for her and I, I do that and that matters. But I can guarantee you right now that she would rather just have me put down my cell phone when she's talking to me. She would rather I just got home when I said I was going to get home. She would rather I just folded some laundry for once in my life. 
It's like, I appreciate the words. I really do. All of that's lovely and good, but I need you to know that what really moves my heart isn't your words, it's your actions. Are they in alignment? That doesn't mean I'm always going to get perfect. That doesn't mean that there won't be moments where I still act like I'm asleep in the middle of the night so that she has to deal with the kids. There will be moments like that, my friends. I can promise you. We're not looking for perfection, but we are looking for progress and practice. And am I actually going to integrate what God says is true in my life? And when it comes to faith, I could get up here and talk to you about how much I love God. That'd be fine. But I can guarantee you right now that he'd be far more moved if I actually did something about it. That's what I love about God. What he's really moved by isn't what I say, it's what I do. It's it's how I treat people who have nothing to offer me. It's how I love people when no one else is looking. It's, it's how I seek him in the small rooms, not what I say about him in the big rooms. There's an Irish poet named Oliver Goldsmith who said, you can preach a far better sermon with your life than with your lips. And I'm convinced that this is true. It says in James 2.19, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He's saying it's not enough to believe. It's not enough to sing the songs and hear the sermons. You've actually got to make your life the sermon. You've actually got to make your life the worship. You've got to love people. You've got to serve. You've got to meet needs because that's what faith does. It moves. It expresses itself through your actions. And James is saying it's not faith or action, it's faith in action that moves the heart of God. It's faith in action that changes the way that we see. It's faith in action that changes what we do. And finally, the last idea is this, it's faith in action that changes not just what we do, but why we do. It's not just what we do, but why we do. In Mark chapter 14, there's this incredible story of this woman who pours out a jar of expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And I didn't put this part in the notes, so you're just going to have to listen. But it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus was in Bethany. He was at the table in the home of Simon, who had a skin disease. And a woman came with a special sealed jar. It contained very expensive perfume made out of pure nard. She broke the jar open and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Some of the people there became angry. They said to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's pay. The money could have been given to the poor people. So they found fault with the woman. I just thought, isn't that so predictable that people would find fault with the woman, even though what she's done is radically generous? It kind of reminded me of the Reverend Taylor Swift when she said, haters going to hate Hate, 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 hate. That's just what they do. But to me, this story isn't about the hate. It's actually about the heart. It's the question, why did this woman pour out this oil? That's what I want to know. What compelled her to do something so extravagant? Because whatever she's got, I want. And the only problem is that Mark never tells us who this is or why she's so moved to do what she did. So I actually went and I, I found another telling of the story. It's told in one of the other gospels, the gospel of John. And this is in your notes. It says this. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. So, so we begin to see a little bit more of the story. We see this isn't just any woman, it's a woman named Mary. And here what you need to know about Mary is that she had a brother named Lazarus and not long before this jar of perfume was broken, Lazarus was dead and buried in a tomb. He was done and his sister Mary was devastated. And I was thinking, you know, preachers love to say that if you're not dead, God's not done. But in the case of Lazarus, that statement, even though it sounds cool and big, is still too small because Lazarus was actually dead, but Jesus still wasn't done with him. So Jesus went to the tomb where Lazarus laid and he called out in a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. Scripture says the dead man came out. And in a single moment, everything they knew about life and death was flipped upside down. In a single moment, the hopeless were given hope. In a single moment, a family was reunited with a brother who'd been lost. And it's out of this context that Mary pours the perfume on Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. This wasn't some random act of kindness. This isn't a woman who decided to be generous for no reason. This is a woman who had a very specific reason for breaking this bottle. And it's not because she thinks that Jesus is cool. It's not because she thinks that he's good or moral or nice. It's not because she thinks he's a good teacher. It's not even because she thinks that Jesus is powerful. It's simply because of what Jesus did for her. Her brother was dead. And because of Jesus, now he is alive and she is looking for any way to respond and react to what had been done for her. And when we see that, all of a sudden, her actions make so much more sense. It's not that she was striving to be good. It's that she actually encountered a God who was good. And, and today, I want to remind you of what Jesus has done for you. I don't know if you remember your story, but this is your story. It's not that you were bad. It's that you were dead. And you were hopeless. And you were an object of God's wrath. And you were lost in the wilderness. But it says that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you made you alive together with Christ. He made a way. He died so you could live. He paid the price that only he could pay. And because of his love in action towards you, not love expressed, love in action towards you, you've been given the gift of life and hope. You've been made holy and righteous, not because you're good, but because he's good. Friends, when we see all that Jesus has done for you, the question of what's the least I can do makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't even register. It's like if Jesus says, if you want me to love, I'm saying I'll love. If you want me to serve, I'll serve. If you want me to break a jar, I'll break a jar. If I had another jar, I'd break that one too. It's the least I could do. It's the least I could do. I decided to call my talk, it's the least I could do because I feel like that's the move each of us is being invited to make this morning. The move from what's the least I can do to it's the least I can do. 
when I remember everything that's been done for me. Everything that he's expressed, everything that he said and backed up with his actions, it's the least I can do. Friends, true faith changes not just what we do, but why we do. We're not called to be naturally generous people. What we're called to do is come face to face with a generous God. And when we do that, how can we not move? How can we not love? How can we not serve the least and the lost and the last? And so with that, at the tip of our tongue and at the the center of our heart, I just want to let you know that today's action step is simple. Last week, we invited you to put your faith into action by serving here at CTK. And, And this week, the challenge is actually to show up and serve our community partners. And you've heard us talk about the partners all summer long, but I just want to remind you of one thing. These partners have been chosen specifically because they care about the things that God cares about. That's number one. And number two, and this is important, they are really, really, really good at doing the work that God's inviting us to do. That's the intersection right there. They care about what God cares about, and they're really good about doing the work, and they're inviting us to do the same. Friends, in light of how generous God has been, how can we not be generous? How can we not pour out? How can we not allow our lives to be a vessel through which it flows? And today, as we close, I actually want to share a story of somebody uh, who's just like you, who put their faith into action right here at CTK and said yes to serving one of the partners. Because sometimes instead of me telling you this story, it's just better to see it for yourself. So let's watch this together. Hi, I'm Wendy Powell, and I am here with Regan Wynn, who is someone I met last July. One thing that so impressed me about her is that she had a real list of very valid reasons that she was too busy to serve in this season, too busy to do the things she felt like God might be prompting her to do. So instead of sitting with the list of reasons, she actually pressed in to discover what it is God was inviting her to. What brought you to CTK a year ago? So I relocated to the area four years ago with BP and we moved to Linden and I was married at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, we uh, went through a divorce. We needed to find um, what church looked like for us in this post-divorce world. And we needed a community that both co-parents could be in with our sons. Both of us, it was important that our sons were brought up in the Word. We continued to stay that way. We had a way for folks to sort of check a box, what sort of ministry are you feeling curious about or called to? And then you and I had a couple of conversations after that. What do you remember about those conversations? Anyone who's a single parent understands that um, you can really understand and relate to that time constraint. There's so much shame that comes with divorce and you feel very, um, you feel very unusable anymore, right? Because um, you're not the image that you think you're supposed to be. There are a lot of people in this church that are still walking with God and maybe not perfectly and, um, and lots of mistakes made along the way, um, but how do you plug in? And I wanted to connect in the community and I wanted to meet other women in the community. I wanted to meet other businesses in the community. Um, I, wanted to get, I wanted to get involved. I didn't think I could have an impact, honestly, with the little that I had to give. So as we started talking about Blue Skies for Children, this tiny little nonprofit that it's actually a little hard to discover. They, they are not big <laughs> and huge and on every right list of things you look at, but they're doing such meaningful work. So I remember I introduced you to the executive director at the time. Pick the story up from there. How did you get from that first conversation to actually joining their board of directors? 
when I went to their office and they took me back to the shoes and I had in my mind um, something that would be like a bunch of cheap white sneakers is kind of mm -hmm. what I had in the, envisioned. And when I got back there, there was a really wide variety of colors and brands and sizes. And we want them to feel confident and feel good going into school. Having three boys myself, like I know shoes um, are such a fun place for kids to express their personality and, um, and, and who they want to be in the world. What I would really, when I said to you, I don't know, I could maybe do a couple hours a month and I could think about it in the back of my brain, but I'm not gonna be able to physically be at a location consistently, you know, all these times. That's been really powerful for me to remember that even if it's just a small bit that you can give, whether it's money or time or perspective, when you put it in God's hands, really anything can, can come of that really want um, the community to know that we're here to serve families and foster families and if you need resources you need connection please come in my heart when I came to you was community right like I was struggling with this new role that I had and a new place and a new life and um, I love the women who work with loose guys honestly <laughs> like um, the board is really fun you know we meet for dinner once a month essentially and we sit down and we um, share a bit about life. Uh, there's, there's a big age range on the board. The, I, I really enjoyed that a lot. One of my hopes in, in filming this part of your story is that you would be able to encourage other CTKers to have some version of the experience I've been watching you have the last year or so. What would your encouragement to them be? First of all, anything you bring the Lord is going to use. Not everyone's going to serve on a board, but not everyone's also going to have the ability to do some of the other things that are available in our community. So your unique experiences, your life package matters. And God was building you, growing you, and preparing you for just this time, for just this role. The closer we, we focus in on the Lord, the more everything else fades away. And I think you find that in service. And whether that's you know time, or even just being on a website to be able to pray with someone. These are places where you can have impact. And, um, and that can be really healing and um, feeding. Serving's not just something that we're invited to do, it's what we were created to do. Like, this is the outflow. This is the response. This is how we react when we see what God's done for us. And maybe you're watching that and you're thinking, yes, I am in, and you know exactly how you want to serve. Or maybe you're online and you're in that same uh, spot. And I just need you to know that the place that you can actually get connected to all the opportunities is ctkserves.org. And you can check out the eight remaining partner tours and service projects and choose one and just show up. It's as simple as that. But, but if you feel something stirring in your heart and you are thinking, you know, I want to say yes, but I don't know where I fit. One, bless you. We are so glad that you were asking that question. And we want you to know that as you leave today in the commons, there's volunteers around pub tables that would love nothing more than to help you actually figure out what the next best step would be for you considering all that God's done for you and all of the things that you bring to the table, where is that place for you to actually express what it means to show your generosity to God for what he's done for you? So I wanna challenge you today before you leave, would you have that conversation and either go to ctkserves.org or actually have a conversation uh, with the pub tables. Friends, this is your moment. Do not let it pass. This is the most holy moment of the week. That's what Grant says. It's not when we gather. It's when we actually scatter and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. So I know you want to put your faith into action, church, but will you? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. 
God, that you are so gracious. Thank you that you never invite us to do anything that you haven't already done yourself. God, we are in awe of everything that you've done for us. God, would you move in us, but God, would you move through us? And God, would you call us and show us what it looks like to be the light of the world that we were created to be? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, if you have any prayer needs whatsoever, you can share them at prayer.ctk.church. If you're in the room here, you can come forward to the stage and there's going to be a team of people who would love to pray for you. And again, do not miss the opportunity to connect out in the commons with people who would love to help find that next step for you. God bless and we'll see you next week.